Okay, the light that shines through infinity. Christian. All right. Hi, everybody. So are we at the top of the page? Where, where it says Tozan's reflection. Okay, gotcha. Oh, the highlighted text you mean. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> All right. Um, Tozan's reflection. There is a famous story about Chinese Zen master Tozan Royokai, Dojian Liangji Ongji. 807 to 869. When Tozan was about to go on pilgrimage, he asked his teacher, Ongang Danjo, after you have passed away, how can I answer someone who asks me what you were like? Ungan replied, say to him, just this is. Then he added, you must now be very careful as you're carrying this great thing. Consider it again and again. Tosan was always thinking about Ungan's statement, just this is. Then one day he was crossing a river and saw himself. When Tosan saw his reflection, he realized it was not his real self because in order for a reflection to appear, the thing reflected must already exist. Suddenly, he understood his teacher's meaning and composed this gatha. You shouldn't search for it outwardly. If you do, the truth will become more remote from you. But when alone, I proceed through myself. Wherever I go meet him, I meet him. Now he is not other than myself, yet I am not he. Only if you understand this, will you unite the Tathagata. Before your individual thoughts, feelings, or perceptions arise on you reflect or, you, or you, on yourself, wondering who or what you are, something is already there something is already alive. What is it? We call it big self, real self or true self, but actually it is the vastness of existence. In Buddhist philosophy, we say emptiness. When you hear the word emptiness, it seems to be something fascinating, kind of puzzle, but emptiness is not a puzzle. It is something true something is happening there. When you see your reflection, it is coming from emptiness, but immediately it is going, returning to emptiness. In the next moment, a new reflection comes. Your reflection is impermanent. It is always coming and going. The only thing that stays is the vastness of existence. This vastness is your true self. When you see your reflection, if you believe that reflection is your true self, this is a misunderstanding. But it doesn't mean you can ignore the reflection. A reflection must be there or there is nothing for you to see. Without my reflection, I cannot see that I exist. 
and cannot understand who I am. True self and its reflection are not the same, but they are not separate. Your reflection is not the real truth, but without that reflection, you cannot see the truth. If you search for true self outwardly with your ordinary dualistic human consciousness, you will never find it. <laughs> but on the other hand, true self doesn't float around like some kind of spirit or ghost. It is life itself, real life. Real life is more than life in the biological sense. It is the impulse that makes something come into existence right in the middle of emptiness. Without that impulse, nothing can be created. Proceeding along through yourself means through, through this body right now, right here. Why through this body? Your individual human life is just you, so you have to proceed alone. There is no other choice. It is very hard to be with aloneness, aloneness. But there is no other way. No one can rely, really help you. No matter what happens, you have to walk by yourself. This is not egoistic. It's just that there is no one who can substitute for you. When it comes times for you to die, who could substitute for you? No matter what you say or do, scream, laugh, or cry, you must proceed alone. That would be a good trick, wouldn't it? To find a stand-in? Hmm. <laughs> well, the stand-in would benefit from it. <laughs> Can you advertise in the want ads. Hmm. Him, can you please uh, move the page a little bit to the left? It covers up. Um, it's covered up with um, with the participants on on the right side. You can also move the participants, but go on. I, I, well, okay. How's that? Well, it's still cut off. But anyway, I can make it narrower. All right. Just, just two millimeters. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Okay. Is it, is it like that for everybody? Does it work for everybody? Hmm. Yeah. You, you, if you proceed alone in the realm of truth, your mind is quiet and peaceful. In Japanese, we say hokyo, the jewel mirror. The mirror is a metaphor for wisdom. Wisdom is a mind mirror that shows you the ultimate principle of human life. Having mirror wisdom means knowing what the ultimate source is and how it works. But it is not a matter of philosophical discussion. It is something you experience personally. Mirror wisdom is attained by reaching Alavijana, the eighth level of human consciousness. When self-centered thoughts cease, you touch what aloneness really is, what selfishness, pain, and sorrow really are, 
and your experience becomes wisdom, a very deep understanding of the human world. Right in the midst of your life, you are alone, but that aloneness is interconnected, interpenetrated with all sentient beings. I like that sentence. Don't you guys? This one. You know, both are true that you're alone and you're interconnected. So how do I change the page now? There. Okay. Even though you exist as one human being, your one life contains all beings. Unified life is your true self. Tolstoy says, only if you understand this, I'm with the together. Means your true self. The term Tathagata is a name of Buddha, which comes from two words, Tatha and Gata. The word Tatha represents going, and Gata represents coming. Life is constantly going and coming, everything yeah. is coming and going. <laughs> this is the truth of impermanence. Why do you laugh, Charlie? Well, tatha doesn't mean going. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. Help us out. Tatha means in this way. He who has gone in this way. And it's a compound, meaning two words together. And the first one is an adverb, tatha. And going is uh, a participle, like in English. Going, thinking, sleeping, some of them uh, end in ED. And that's the T-H-A? T-H, T-T, no, it's T-A-T-H-A. I know, but the part that's, the, the going part is the Second part? Oh, G-A-T-A, -A, yes. Oh, okay. And that, that's the participle. It is, well, I don't want to go into all the details, going not necessary. So it is translated, Agatha is he who has gone in this way, Tatha. Just two words. So the problem is the coming here. Yes. Okay. Okay, who's reading now? Um, me. Okay. When you realize the truth of impermanence, you are not carried away by constant change. You are completely without attachment to anything. You just stand alone, calm, and unmoved in the vastness of ex existence. Then, and the one unified life of all beings begins to move toward the human world of separation and discrimination, true self starts to walk. And wherever it goes, it meets a reflection of itself. This is thousands proceeding alone 
when you proceed like this, this proceeding is called wisdom. I'm not quite getting at why the reflection is so important. Does anyone else see that? Though, though I've thought about how, uh, you know, you're walking down the street and it's a sunny day and you look back and you see that there's no shadow. Uh, you know, as uh, that you don't really exist until there's a shadow. So I see that kind of like reflection. I've had that experience. I mean, I haven't had the experience of not having a shadow, but I've imagined that. <coughs> Does this make sense to anyone? This idea of the reflection being so important? Well, I, I'm, I'm just shooting from my head. I would say what I'm imagining now, that it may help that one doesn't feel so alone, but we may read on and we will find something more important, I believe. <laughs> so I've been having an experience of, for some reason recently, I've been um, in a position in the Zendo where I'm just facing the wall and I don't have any role. And I notice um, I used to spend a lot of time looking at the wall when I was facing it. And I notice I keep forgetting that I'm right in front of the wall. And the wall is kind of a reflection, maybe, I don't know. Sometimes uh, like at night when you're sitting and looking at the wall, you'll see the shadow of your head, if, depending on where the lights are, you know, you'll see your shadow on the wall. Okay, I will. Who's reading now? I think it's Emily. Is it okay. Me? okay. Um, it's very hard to practice this way, but without actual practice, wisdom doesn't make sense. When wisdom becomes actualized, in practice, it is called samadhi, one-pointedness. Samadhi means right acceptance. It is to accept something, but not by discriminating from a dualistic point of view. It is to accept your life as a whole and keep walking. Whatever happens, you proceed straightforwardly and just go on with your life. So whatever you think, whatever opinion you have, let it go and let your true self proceed through itself. This is the real practice of spiritual life. Do you think of that as, as just this that he mentioned at the beginning? Right acceptance? Yeah, it would, it would seem so, yeah. Trotty is, is a, a samadhi, right acceptance an okay definition? for samadhi um i'm sorry but not <laughs> no well he is the master of this piece of this practice but and he uses sanskrit vocabulary but he uses it in the way 
how he teaches and what he experiences. But I mean, samadhi is actually a term that is used primarily in the Brahmanical, in the Hindu tradition. And how is it used? Well, it is uh, to have the, yeah, like at the bottom, well, it's ultimate emptiness. It's only for some uh, in the Brahmanical uh, tradition that they will have ultimate emptiness too. But it will be the ultimate experience of freedom. And... um, very often, actually, it would, if, if the person was very religious and uh, people knew that uh, was practicing in such a way, um, then they passed away. They, they would say, he died in samadhi. So it, it didn't. It involves lots of different things, meaning uh, he did not suffer. Um, He may have just uh, let go or, yeah, I do not know. There's just different approaches to it. Enlightenment? So does it? Yes, yes, you can use that too. Mm -hmm. But enlightenment we often find primarily in the Buddhist literature, also in India. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe he's talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's easy to get lost in some of the semantics of of I think interpretations of what you know. Obviously, you know these different you know different uh, words of meaning, and and I'm definitely not a linguistics expert, but. Um, from a standpoint of, you know, he's talking about um, the dualistic point of life and accepting life. And I mean, it seems like it speaks to the whole nature of, of, of existence from a standpoint of, you know, a lot, a lot of times it's talked about, well, life is suffering or life has suffering. Um, but here it seems like he's indicating it's more about embracing the totality of experience with all the different aspects of it, which um, for me, has always seemed like a much healthier um, way to look at that noble truth or task from a standpoint of not perseverating on the suffering, but acceptance, and then talking about proceeding straight forward with letting go of, of grasping and seeing yourself letting go and um, proceeding with more of a true self, which, which is that practice of a, of a real spiritual practice. Just a few thoughts. Okay, who's next? I am. Three aspects of wisdom. Buddhism always emphasizes experiencing the energy of life itself directly through your skin, muscle, and bone. That is called wisdom. It is the wisdom of emptiness emphasized so much in the Prajnaparamita Sutra. There are three aspects to the wisdom of emptiness. Emptiness of the conditioned. Emptiness of the unconditioned. 
and ultimate emptiness. The first one is emptiness of the condition. It is the realization that the human world has no substance of its own. The human world is the world of phenomena. What you can see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and think. <coughs> that world is produced by many causes and conditions, existing from moment to moment and constantly changing. There is nothing that you can pin down as an independent entity because life is impermanent. If you feel, feel pensive, I think. That's right. Thank you. Or sad from the impermanence of life, you are looking at life as a kind of object that you want to hold on to. The feeling and thoughts you experience as a human being are important, but they arise from emptiness the dynamic, dynamic functioning of your life. So experience emptiness first, then you can think and create ideas based on wisdom. Usually we do the opposite. Then we get dragged around your own thoughts and feelings based on ignorance. Don't get dragged around. All you have to do is just be alive. That's it. That's all you have to do. <laughs> It's so simple. <laughs> well, let's learn how to do that. If only it were that easy. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. All, <laughs> all you have to do is be alive. <laughs> it's enough. That will help. <laughs> exactly. You are the aliveness of life. When you see your life exactly as it is, there is no way to feel sad because you see that your life is constantly emerging. So just take care of your life, no matter what happens in your life. Just deal with it and let it go. Move forward. That is practicing wisdom of the emptiness of the conditioned. Next is the emptiness of the unconditioned. If you practice Zazen, sooner or later you will taste something of the truth, which is called the unconditioned. That is wonderful, but if you attach to your experiences, they give birth to self-centered thoughts. For example, during Zazen, you may think, oh, my thoughts have stopped now. It is very easy for us to attach to the unconditioned world because it is mysterious. We are always curious about mysteries, but grasping for it turns the unconditioned into the conditioned, so it becomes delusion. Whatever you see during Zazen, even spiritual ecstasy or enlightenment, is just emptiness. But if you say you have already created concept, an element of the conditioned world. Whatever you say, wisdom, truth, or big self, if you try to grasp it as an idea, it becomes a mist. If you try to hold on to your experience of the unconditioned, you can become crazed by enlightenment. So you have to let it go, let it be. 
practicing wisdom of the unconditioned. Finally, there is the wisdom of unlimited emptiness. This wisdom that lets you see the deep core of your life and simultaneously it guides you in your practice. It is very hard to let wisdom guide your activity, very hard. But this practice is the way you experience ultimate emptiness. In ultimate emptiness, there are no ideas, no concepts, not even of emptiness. Before anything you can think of as an experience arises in your consciousness, you just go on your way, directly experiencing what is real. That is practicing the wisdom of ultimate emptiness. Practiced in ignorance. Oh, not practice, patience. <laughs> I've been practicing ignorance for quite a while. I could probably write a chapter on that. <laughs> Eternal life is vast and deep. In the eye of a Buddha, that vastness is very clear and life is very simple. Just go ahead in the realm of emptiness. But when vastness appears in the territory of human intellect, it becomes blurred. You don't know exactly where you are, what's going on there. So you say, I don't understand. You don't understand. And you don't see how your understanding is going astray. That is called ignorance. Ignorance means you are standing in the middle of a world so vast and deep that your intellect cannot grasp it. When your intellect cannot stand up in the vastness of life, you become confused and carried away by your ignorance. <laughs> well, I was thinking at first that this was going to be like a, a positive thing, but it's not. In, in Buddhist terms, this is called dukkha or suffering. Suffering creates arrogance and arrogance creates criticism and hatred. Then human life becomes very messy. It isn't good enough to see life only through your human intellect because you cannot know everything. There are always things you don't know. There is no end to learn to learning about human life. If you want to understand the human world, you have to be patient. The human world is sometimes called the Saha world. Saha is a Sanskrit word meaning patience. Even though life in the human world is messy, we always have an opportunity to practice patience there. That is why we have to live in the human world. But practicing patience is hard because our human eyes cannot see the truth clearly. If you can't see clearly, it's very difficult to stand up in the whole universe and live calmly. It's hard to be patient with your ignorance, so you need lots of practice. The important thing is not to be in a hurry 
If you don't understand something, be humble, be modest. Just walk calmly step by step. Most people don't live that way. Usually they want to rush. But when you rush, you become irritated and angry. You're mad at yourself, other people, and the whole world. That is arrogance, and you should be careful to avoid it, especially when you don't know something. Giving talks is very interesting for me. It is one of the ways I hope to avoid ignorance by poking into every nook and cranny. Just but sometimes I have felt that teaching Buddhism in the United States is like planting pumpkin seeds in pebbles and expecting them to grow. Human beings are and self-centered in all aspects of life, personal business, personal business, even in religion. Sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> Are you asking a question, Emily? No, I'm just um, poking back at him. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't think very highly of 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 us uh, of us on the other side of the pond. I guess. <laughs> Sorry, were you just talking about arrogance? <laughs> That's okay. It's okay to poke back. That's. It seems useless to teach that we shouldn't be arrogant because no matter how long you talk, most people don't realize how arrogant, arrogant they are. But if teachers stop talking, you know what will happen. That is why for century after century, Buddhas and ancestors have been talking. So regardless of whatever or not, anyone understands my talks or changes their life, regardless of whether or not I like giving talks or my English is poor, I have to stand up straight, face the situation and just continue to talk. That is to practice patience. To practice patience in the Saha world doesn't mean to suppress some feeling. It means to accept the whole universe. We practice patience in the human world because human life exists simultaneously with eternal life. Human patience exists simultaneously with real patience. Real patience is the great patience of the whole universe. How can you realize that great patience? I wouldn't mind talking about that last paragraph a little bit. <laughs> um, actually, the one before that, obviously, patience is important and being arrogant is, is an ugly thing. Um, but in, in looking at, I mean, Buddhism from what I've learned from my, um, from my experience is, you know, a model that isn't about just teachers talking at students and students just accepting things, but it's an exchange and an experience where um, there isn't just accepted like one path, but 
it is actually discussion and, and exchange. And so, yeah, I don't know what what do other people feel about that. I'm just I'm I'm just curious. It's it's that obviously each of our our paths are our own experience, and we need guides and assistance to help us on those paths. Um, but everyone here is a critical thinker who can make conclusions and and for themselves and 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 you know Buddha said in you know we've talked about in a previous session about him saying all all that's needed is the sangha and the dharma um you know those are sort of some of his final words that you know he talked about um so i don't know what, what do people think about that am i just am i crazy maybe i am no, I don't think at all. I mean, there, there's definitely those two schools of, of teaching. One is, is the sage on the stage and the other is the guide on the side. And there's also you know, a, a discussion. It's, it's a spectrum too, right? There's, there's, like a, there's like a middle ground there too, I would think. So I see. It was more the la the, that paragraph that you were thinking about. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just curious if um, other people's thoughts on it. Well, one thing he's getting at is is how uh, words just don't express uh, this whole business, and yet uh, you have to keep talking. Right. That's the, that's such an irony, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. I think he's also addressing, uh, when he talks about ignorance, um, it's sort of our, um, we all think we know something, do you know? I mean, we're conditioned to feel that we need to know something in order to survive. So we have all kinds of opinions and judgments and ideas and even when we're told that there's nothing to know and that we just need to drop all belief and everything that we've ever, um, you know, held dear as an opinion, you know, it's very hard for us to actually do that. Um, um, I remember in retreat once uh, the teacher being asked, well, tell us what you know. And you know, by someone who was saying, you know something. And he says, actually, I know less than every person in this room. <laughs> and I, I think he was uh, pointing to something. There's a, there's a beingness, you know, mm. that is far beyond all the thoughts about it, you know. Maybe to me, to me, what he was saying is I'm less confident <laughs> in the things that I know. I love that game. That's awesome. Yeah, I, that's yeah. <laughs> you could you could take it, but it was uh, it brought a laugh to everybody, and um, you know we we uh, another phrase that I've heard is you know rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's like we keep trading one belief for another belief for another belief, you know, and yet the whole thing is is um, a web of conditioned thinking that actually is not the, the, the true nature that's being pointed to. And it's, it's kind of, um, you, know, you know, I'll speak for myself. Uh, you know, very often I think I, 
I know, and then it turns out maybe a week or a year later, whatever, I found out that what I knew wasn't actually accurate. So it's, um, anyway, that's some of what I've been getting about. Um, patience with your ignorance to me means be okay with not knowing in some ways, you know, just, just don't rush it. Don't try to understand. Don't try to land on a, another concept to place the one that you thought you, was right. You know, um, just kind of be open to uh, life as it is in, in a way that's um, really hard for, um, I think, um, you know, at least me most of my life to do. And the irony there is that I, I totally love what you just said. And the irony is even when you try to dwell in uncertainty, for example, even that is a concept and a belief unto itself. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. tricky. It's tricky. It is. But, you know, um, I was just rereading uh, today a conversation that I had that I actually wrote down from this teacher that I really love. And um, in it, I it was at a point where I didn't know how to stop seeking, right? So I asked him, how do I stop? I don't know how to stop seeking. You know, I just have this energy that wants to know things. And uh, he says, well, can you stop right now? Right now. And I got really quiet and I listened to what was in my body. And I said, no, I can't. I felt this energy. I, 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 I can't stop. And what he said was, when you really settle into the, to the feeling and the beingness of you can't stop, that's stopping hmm. in itself. Because if you really can't stop, well, your mind just comes to a halt. It doesn't keep reaching and trying to get a way out of it. If you really, really can't stop, that's stopping. And um, I don't know, it, it, it made it, I knew what he was saying at the time, but it's taken uh, actually years for it to really sink in with me. And I think it's just being with the moment exactly as it is without trying to get out of it, without trying to grab onto something else or push it away. It's everything that they point to, you know? So instead of trying to get someplace else, Anyway. Who's reading now? Gosh, I think it's me. Um, is it to live? Thank you, Gail. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Trouty. Okay, is, is, the, is the paragraph to live? Yeah. I think so. To live in the human world is to walk in the midst of eternal life. Even though your human eyes cannot see everything clearly, you can be quiet, accept the whole universe, and throw yourself into the place where all sentient beings coexist in peace and harmony. Stand up there. Deal with the situation straightforwardly, as best you can, and then let it go. Just keep going ahead. Having an experience and letting it go allows you to grow in the domain of great patience. Every day, every moment, your human experience is different. 
So very naturally, there are many opportunities to practice patience. Someday, right in the middle of your messy human life, <coughs> in spite of your ignorance, you will touch something deep. The core of human life. You don't know what it is intellectually, but you realize the peaceful patience found in the life of the whole universe. At that time, you experience the vastness of your existence and your life really blooms. When I look at myself, sometimes I feel good and sometimes not so good because everything in human life is up and down. There is no way to escape this up and down life. So I think the real practice of patience is to do small things every day with great hope, putting a seed in the desert, regardless of whether or not it will grow. That is all I can do. Then I can take care of my up and down life. That's nice, sister. Like putting a seed in the desert regardless of whether or not it will grow. Standing up straight. The midst of reality is very simple and very soft. Even hatred is simple if you don't fight it. If you try to fight hatred, it becomes a monster. But if you deal with your hatred straightforwardly, You can use hatred as an opportunity to deepen your life or to express the depth of your life. So if you feel hatred, what should you do? The first thing you have to do is to stand up straight right in the middle of your life. This is not so easy. It's not easy because it's too simple. There's nothing to want nothing to gain, nothing to achieve as a result. Still, without standing up, you can't not do anything. So if you feel hatred, stand up straight and face your hatred. Accept it. Do as simply as you can and then let it go. Let your hatred and you return to the That's all you can do. The moment, in the next moment, the form of hatred is gone and something new is arising. Whatever it is, accept it, face it, and be free, free from it. Okay, step by step. Standing out straight under all conditions is called right acceptance. It is to accept your whole life and refresh yourself with the lively energy that is constantly arising from deep in your life. You can depend on that energy and use it in whatever situation you encounter. Using it, let, using it lets you accept your thoughts and feelings and deal with them straightforwardly, compassionately, then relax your mind and let them go. You know what I, I think is he's pointing to here for me is to 
um, let my hatred, for instance, um, arise, meet it, but don't feed the stories that keep ramping it up. Just allow it to be there. And eventually that energy shifts and changes, just like everything does. I mean, it's, um, I mean, that's, that's something I've noticed in, in meditation. If I'm feeling anything in it, um, and I usually it starts with a story, and then I get the emotion going. And if I just lean into the physical sensations and drop the story, it moves away. So what was it anyway? It was impermanent. It was energy. Yeah. It helps you reframe the context of it. Pardon? So it kind of helps you reframe the context of it? Absolutely. Instead of uh, thinking that it's all a true, you know, the story is true because the emotions are, you know, showing me these physical sensations and so on. And that therefore that whole scenario is true. The story is dropped and then the emotions move off. And I realize it wasn't, it was energy moving. You're right. It, it, it reframes it for me. Whatever arises, seizes, right? Whatever comes up, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna pass. Mm -hmm. If you, if you create the conditions to let it, let it pass, I guess. Yeah. Well, not only letting it pass, but this thing of standing up straight, in spite of what's happening. Yeah, I think I, like I think not cowering. To, I, yeah, it speaks to feeling it as much as you need to. And then letting it go in the right amount of time proportional to whatever the experience is for which is different in every every instance right mm -hmm. and it might come back again sure and, then, yeah. and that's okay too it's just when you uh you know kind of a light bulb went off for me um you know when i started meditating and had experiences like we're talking about you know that um just because I had these physical sensations didn't mean that the story was true. I mean, the whole thing would drop off and then I'd feel peaceful, whatever happened, you know, to what I thought was this deep hatred or anger or, you know, judgment. It kind of disappeared and moved off, something else came in, you know? So yeah, empty, it's all empty, um, I guess. Okay, who's next? I was the one who finished. Oh, is it me? Um, is it, are we on another aspect? Yeah. Okay. Um, another aspect of right acceptance is to accept yourself as you really are without comparing yourself with others. If you are a violet, be patient and wait for the violet's life force to bloom. But if you work for a company, the company may want you to bloom in a particular way. Maybe they will tell you to put to bloom not as a violet, but as a rose. They will do things like put up lists of who is the best salesman. In a sense, that's pretty nice. It seems to be encouragement, but encouragement is not 
always good for you. Sometimes it makes you nervous because it causes you to see the world dualistically. When you look around, you see many people who are nervous. Even if they have money and high social status, they're unhappy because they are violets who are trying to bloom as roses. If you ask yourself, which will I be, a violet or a rose? Then you are making comparisons. But before you compare yourself with somebody else, you are already you. So just be you. Stand up straight, right in the vastness of your original existence, and let the flower of your life force bloom as you really are. And it's eight o'clock. So we should take our 10 minutes here, right? Agreed? Boy, a lot of agreement. <laughs> Agreed. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Sounds good, Kim. <laughs> okay. Genius. <laughs> so, what do we have? Melen, are you in Mexico? Yes. I can share. Um, I really like this this part um, that says that we, we practice patience in the human world because human life exists simultaneously with eternal life. It uh, helped me to realize or understand um, that human life is just a small part of the universe. And just a wrote a small sentence. Uh, eternity can be found in the minds and hearts of human beings, as well as, as in the vastness of whatever is outside. Someone else? I had an amazing experience this weekend. I got lost. Um, I lost my car in the milieu of the air show at Randolph Air Force Base in the, here in San Antonio. And I hadn't expected that there would be, there were at least hundreds, possibly thousands of people there. And uh, I had to wait for several hours um, until the parking lot emptied and I found my car. <laughs> and it was um, very hard, very, very hard to wait um, because I didn't wanna be there. Um, I was thinking about the various things that I had. Oh, I could be doing this, I could be doing that. And it was very difficult I was thinking about the lessons that this group has taught me about just sitting and being in the moment. 
Um, and I found a perspective, a perspective of humanity that I had, had never really experienced that volume of people all at once passing by me, just kind of watching them. Um, but tonight I thought about how there's areas of the world where there's probably that many people in a refugee camp. And there, a lot of them are probably suffering quite a bit. And what an extraordinary thing it was to be at an air show where I did see like, you know, a handful of people <laughs> crying who also lost their cars. But they were happy for the most part, thousands and thousands of people were happy together, experiencing something. And um, I overlooked that. And um, there's many lessons that I'll think about, keep thinking about in the coming weeks. What, what is it that you overlooked? I overlooked that I could have been in a horrible situation. Oh, where okay. It was just like surrounded by like war and misery, you know? But instead I was in the middle of people who were just super happy and just relaxed and having a great time. And I didn't allow myself to be a part of that. And that's the standing up straight, isn't it? Yeah. And it sounds like you found um, actually gratitude in what could have been, you know, uh, a situation that would have caused you a lot of pain and suffering. But um, I did it you, after, though. Like, uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's all of it, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, you know, it's all of it. it it's like you have a more open um, openness to the whole of it not just the, you know, poor me, here I am stuck. Oh my God, how am I going to get out of it? What if I never find the car, you know? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was stuck in that when I was there and I could see myself being stuck in that, <clears throat> which is progress, I guess. Now I was, I was at a university in um, Wisconsin in a blizzard and there were five parking lots and we didn't remember which it was at night and we didn't remember which lot and somehow we found the car we didn't use your your method of waiting but i don't know if it would have happened yeah. that you know everyone left so that well, that was a good strategy that you had yeah that's um i was stuck at disneyland i think i might have shared that before couldn't find a car with uh holding a, a four-year-old granddaughter over my shoulder, uh, traipsing up and down row after row for a very long time. Yeah. And it's funny how you do have these, um, all these thoughts of catastrophe or, you know, you're stuck. You can't get out of it. There's no, nothing you can think of really to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's a pretty amazing experience. A lot to unpack. Yeah. Just as like you're stuck there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like what? 
<laughs> what do you I'm sorry I didn't hear. Like life. Like life. <laughs> well, we're stuck, we're stuck here. <laughs> yeah. I I loved the last uh, little piece that we um section um you know standing up um oh gosh, I just lost it. Where was it? Uh, standing up straight, right? Here it is. Yeah. And I think the section was called standing up straight. And I love that last sentence, stand up straight right in the vastness of your original existence and let the flower of your life force bloom as you really are. And I loved um, his pointing to the fact that we are, are not to be compared. We don't need to constantly do this comparing. Uh, I'm a, you know, an identification of what we think we are. We're a violet, we're a rose, we're an introvert or an extrovert or a, you know, a go-getter or a shy person or, you know, I mean, we don't have to land on a definition and a whole bunch of words that describe us. We can just allow our uniqueness to show itself. You know, <laughs> I love that, um, you know, you're so busy, you know, especially as a teenager, you're so busy trying to define yourself, you know, like I'm the studious one, or I'm the hip one, or I'm the, you know, one that dresses well, or I'm the one that nobody likes, you know, I mean, it's like you, you get all these personas and you stick them on and then you've got these roles, you know, I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a, you know, a wife and a CEO and you know we don't have to do any of that we can just allow um I love the idea of just allowing the my innate true nature just just show itself in whichever way it does in any given moment yeah. Cody what about this uh standing up straight for you Up straight. You're straight. Huh? Are you straight? I'm straight. Okay. I'm straight. Your internet oh. connection is might not be great today. Yeah. I'm a Me? Yeah, off and on. Okay. No, we can't hear you now. I just passed this time. Oh, okay. <laughs> but does this have any meaning to you? This idea of standing up straight, even in the in when things aren't going right. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, you know, from my perspective is, I guess I could take the standing up straight as I, I guess I, I could say I use it in, uh, every day in life because my thing is like, how bad can things get, you know? to where I won't be able to stand up straight. I just 
I mean, think, but if I keep standing, standing straight, standing strong, you know, I'll overcome it. My 103-year-old father-in-law um, got COVID last week. And uh, he said, this is a guy who was in charge of the civilian prison in Germany in World War II. I mean, he's been kind of around the block, you know. And he said, I can lick this. I'm a man. And then he got the infusion, whatever. And then by the end of the day, his temperature went down to 197. And he's, he's all better. It was, it was amazing. But he's, he's stood up straight in all kinds of situations you know, through the Depression. I wrote, uh, he said to stand up straight even if things aren't rosy. How do we do that? Are we denying that they aren't rosy? Stand up straight and embrace life as it is. This too will pass. Is that how we do it? So I don't know. I mean, you, you could do it by just not admitting that things are, aren't good. You know, that doesn't seem like what he's talking about. Yes. Who else? My wife um, does a really good job at rinsing dishes before they go in the dishwasher. And so I came home from this intensive and then I washed, I put the dishes away <laughs> and I didn't realize they weren't washed. <laughs> One was a little dirty. <laughs> But I thought, well, it just didn't get, you know, the dishwasher failed on that one. So now I have to go. She's having a lot of people over tomorrow for tea, her tea. Uh, she teaches tea ceremony. So now I have to go in and load the dishwasher back up and wash things. She says she doesn't want anyone to get a dirty glass. So You're going to stand up straight in that, right? As I bend over the dishwasher, yeah. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> She's reminded me twice that I need to do it. So I guess I need to do it. Yes, you need to do it. Yeah. Shall we come and help you? <laughs> no, uh, thank you. But I can do it. I can handle it. Good. <laughs> and I can stand up straight. I'm going to do it. Well, should we call it quits? Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Stand up straight. Yes. Thanks, everyone. Have a great night. You too. Good night, night. night.